Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from a high place with stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them. They will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. You will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be, when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart and all those signs came to pass that day when they came there to the hill there was a group of prophets to meet him then the spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them and it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets that the people said to one another What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. A couple weeks ago, we started a new series in our elders' meetings. Um, A series that I started because I... Because I needed to, I needed to look at this theme throughout the scriptures. Because I was, uh, you know, I got into one of those valleys where I just felt so insignificant. Um, like, uh, you know, when you feel like, what's the point? I don't really feel like I'm making that much of a difference anyway. Who is back there messing with this? like, you know, not making that much of a difference anyway. What's the point? You get into this valley, this rut of, 
what's the point? You almost have to like make yourself go on. So I got into this this sort of valley. Um, and all of the sadness and stuff that come along with that, and and you know the wifey looking at me all the time and going, "What is wrong? There's something seriously wrong with you." And me going, "Nothing. There's nothing wrong," <laughs> you know. And so we started this series with our elders, um, where we we basically took the time to list all of the things that we see as our insufficiencies, and then the next week we took time to list all of the, the sins that we have struggled with and that we currently struggle with. And we saw how through the Old Testament, God has used people who commit grievous sins against Him, who, who shouldn't even be qualified to you know, be called people of God like, like, like King David, right? Who had, he was proficient in sinning against God. <laughs> He, he had it down to an art, a science even, right? And still, he was a man after God's own heart. And so we looked at people in the Old Testament. We started looking at preachers in the New Testament. One of the things we did during this exercise was we, we all wrote on a card our insufficiencies on one side, the sins that we struggle with on the other side. And we see in Scripture that, that Jesus covers all of that, Right? And Jesus absolutely covers all of that. And so, so Andrew Cannon shouldn't be in ministry. You see, I have several things listed here. These are all the reasons why I shouldn't be in ministry. You shouldn't be able to preach the Word of, word of God. And then on this card, we also see the one reason why we should, and that's the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ alone. So, salvation by grace through faith. I wanted you to know that the elders of the church at Sunsites were going through this exercise, and it's really humbling us, and it's really exalting Jesus Christ in our time together on on Monday evenings, which is which is amazing. I've I've shared about how in my ministry, ministry hasn't turned out at all the way that I wanted it to, right? I've shared that story probably over the past couple of weeks. I've, I've shared this detail about my ministry that I had a plan and no part of that plan came to pass. God had His plan. Um, I would say, I, Lord, I'm going to walk through this door. When man plans, God laughs. You know, that's a saying we hear sometimes. God, I'm going to walk through this door. So I would, I would slam into this door a couple times. And then I would stumble, stumble back. I would recoil from the, from the hit against the door that I'm trying to walk through. And then that would cause me to stumble through the door that God wants me to stumble through. And then God would confirm, see, this is what I actually wanted you to do. And all of a sudden, his plan is successful and my plan is, has, has failed. This is what we see happening with Saul in this passage. And so this morning, I just I want to ask this question and I want to, I want to draw this out. Um, how many of us have trouble figuring out or knowing exactly where God wants us to be? Yeah, uh, I think that's probably the case for every single person. This is, this is a struggle to discern the will of God. It's a struggle on our, on our part to figure out where we, where we need to be, what we need to be doing, how we need to be serving. It's just, it's just a struggle. So one thing that we're going to see in this text is that God puts Saul exactly where he wants Saul to be, and then God confirms that in his life. And so we're just going to ask this question. Do we think about where God wants us to be and how God wants us to be serving?
and maybe after, even after stumbling around a little bit, how does God confirm that we are where He wants us to be or that we are doing what He wants us to be doing? How are those things confirmed? We're going to look at this passage of Scripture in, in three parts. First, we'll look at verses 1 through 8, and we will see that God actually gives Saul instructions through Samuel. We'll see God's instructions too. Excuse me, Saul. In the second part, we'll see verses 9 through 13, and, and we'll see how God confirms Saul. And then finally, we'll see verses 14 through 16, and, and we'll see how Saul reports the work of, of God to his uncle. First, verses 1 through 8, God's instructions for Saul. Starting in verse 1, Then Samuel, he took the flask of oil, poured it on Saul's head, kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? The first thing we see here, you know, in the previous passage, God was kind of vague about this as he was talking to Samuel and and through Samuel, that uh, Samuel, you know, asked Saul the question, Who is to inherit all that is good in Israel? Is it not your family? And these are just probing questions to get the mind of Saul, you know, working things out. Oh, these are the things that God wants me to be thinking about. Not the donkeys who were lost and now are found, but, but God wants me to be thinking about these higher things. And in verse 1 of chapter 10, uh, Samuel just comes out and says it, or God speaking through Samuel comes out and says it. This is, is God's inheritance. God is clear about this. Saul is not the person who is going to inherit all of Israel. It doesn't make sense that a human person would inherit, you know, a people that God has put together, built for himself. No, God is the one who will inherit Israel. And so we see Samuel ask this question to Saul, has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? And so Saul is basically going to be made a steward of this inheritance that belongs to God alone. This is God's plan for Saul's life. Verse 2, when you go from me today, when Saul goes from Samuel today, then you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, or Zelzeh, or Zelzah. And they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys and is anxious for you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you will go on further from there, and you will come as far as the oak of Tabor. And there three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug of wine. Now, I want to, when we read narratives in Scripture, we have to use our imaginations a little bit. So we close our eyes and we picture these things going on. Uh, Samuel is telling Saul the things that will happen. Saul will go on this journey home. He will go on this pilgrimage home. God has already selected the route that uh, Saul will take. And as Saul is traveling, he will travel first to a place called Bethel, and he will go past the Oak of, of Tabor, and, and he'll encounter some people there at 
at Bethel who were going up to the high place of Bethel. Now, a high place is just a place of worship that would be in a town. It's the place that people would go to to praise God, uh, to offer free will or peace offerings, uh, depending on the word that is used to describe that sort of offering in your translation of, of scriptures, an offering of Thanksgiving is the same sort of offering that we saw Elkanah offering in the first few verses of 1 Samuel when we were there oh so long ago. But Saul encountered these three men who were going up to the high place of Bethel. Bethel is a word that means the dwelling place of God. And so this city was named the dwelling place of God. In Genesis chapters 28 through 35, we see Bethel named Bethel. We see when this place is actually given the name Bethel. And is when Jacob, who would be named Israel, lays down on a rock in the desert, right? And has this dream. And there's a ladder. Does this sound familiar? There's a ladder in this dream. And angels are ascending and descending on this ladder. And God, through this dream, communicates the same promise that he made to Abraham. But he communicates it to Jacob, who would be renamed Israel, as a result of everything that is going on with Jacob in this, you know, angelic ladder in his dream, wakes up and, and renames this place. It has a different name before this, but he renames this place Bethel, the dwelling place of God. And I don't think it's an accident that God has Saul travel to and then through Bethel to get home, Right? So Saul will be traveling to Bethel, and he will encounter these three men with three goats and three loaves of bread and a jug of wine. Yes, wine. And these were elements that were necessary for the, for the peace offering, the free will offering, the, this offering of thanksgiving, this offering of joy. This offering of praising God for the things that God has Done. We see that offering described for us in Leviticus chapter 7 and in Numbers chapter 15. If you want to look that up later and grow in the knowledge of the sacrificial system. Verse 4, Samuel tells Saul that these, these men will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hand. So we see that as Saul you know, will be traveling, right now he's just he's with Samuel, and Samuel is telling him these, these are the things that will happen. And so these men will give Saul two loaves of bread, which means that they're including Saul in their thanksgiving offering, in their worship of God at Bethel, at the high place. Saul will never make it to the high place. But still they are including Saul in this worship. And so we know what sort of worship, what sort of praise Saul is being involved in here. Saul is, is going to be presenting before God and when, you know, when he gets there later, when all of this is, is fulfilled. It's going to be joy. Joyous celebration. It's going to be thanksgiving. It is going to be worship to God for everything that God has done, is doing, and will do. And these steps are already being prepared before Saul even leaves 
Samuel. God has already planned this out and communicated to Saul, this is what will happen when you leave here and when you make your pilgrimage home. Verse 5, Afterward, you will come to the hill of God, where the Philistine garrison is. And it shall be, as soon as you have come there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp and tambourine, flute and lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. They will be prophesying. Now, before we continue on, we need to explain what exactly is going on here, because this is one of those verses in Scripture that is just really confusing if we don't define our terms because in English and in 21st century America and in you know, some cultural Christianity or some versions of cultural Christianity, uh, we have a very narrow definition of what it means to prophesy. And if we take this you know, narrow definition, then it's very, very easy for us to misinterpret this passage of Scripture. In the text of Scripture and throughout the text of Scripture, the word prophesying is a broad term used to simply mean proclaiming the word of the Lord. Throughout Scripture, we see prophesying you know, uh, take three different forms. Uh, one of these forms is the prophetic office that Samuel holds. Now, at this point in the story, the Old Testament prophetic office, Samuel is the first one to hold this office. We saw that as we've been studying through 1 Samuel up to this point. And Samuel is, at this point, the only one who will hold this prophetic office. We go to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We see that Jesus Christ holds this Old Testament office perpetually, eternally, forever. Through Him, God has spoken His final word word in the manner of the Old Testament prophet, right? And so we know that these people being described here don't hold the Old Testament prophetic office, and so there must be another type of prophet we see through the scriptures. The second type of prophet we see is this, and the term prophet is used to describe this position primarily in the New Testament, because in the Old Testament, it's it's described as a priest, It was always a Levite, and it was the priest's job, the Levite's job, to declare the whole counsel of Scripture according to Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 10. And so this prophet, who is a priest in the Old Testament and is described as a prophet or someone who has a gift of prophecy in the New Testament, is one who preaches or teaches the Word of God, teaches the whole counsel of God's Scripture. The third type of prophet, the prophet we see here in this text is called a singing prophet. Someone who is moved by the Holy Spirit to sing songs to God and to play loud music to God and to dance before God. The first singing prophet we see in Scripture is in Exodus chapter 15, verse 20, where Miriam, Moses' cousin, is leading the women. This is right after they cross, you know, the the sea splits and they cross the sea and then all of Israel is delivered. They're delivered from the Egyptians and the nation of Israel breaks out in joyous song and dancing and thanksgiving before God. And, And the text tells us that Miriam, a prophetess, and it uses that term, a prophetess, led the women, this is cool, right? Led the women in playing the tambourine and dancing as all of Israel sang to God. Can you, can you imagine that? That's a cool scene in the text of Scripture. One that we don't often think about. 
one that we probably would skip over because it's scary for logical people like us. And that's why I'm glad to be part of a church where we are preaching through the Scriptures. Now, what I, what I don't want to do here is take 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 5, and extrapolate that to, you know, insinuate all sorts of strange doctrine concerning the singing prophet. What I do want to do is just let the Bible explain what this means for us. We don't want to receive any explanation of 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 5. All that we know is that some of these singing prophets are coming down from the high place and Saul is going to get caught up in and prophesying with them. We haven't gotten to that part of the, of the text yet. Uh, sorry if I, if, I, uh, if I spoiled what's to come. I want to see what God says about what the singing prophet does. The first hint we get is in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Verses 16 through 22 where King David, who, who is not King Saul. King Saul and King David are two different people if, if you didn't already know that. Right, uh, David comes after Saul. Saul, the bad king. David, good king. All right, so we know the difference. David will actually establish a position for this singing prophet, and we see when he establishes this position in First Chronicles chapter fifteen, verses sixteen through twenty-two. Then David spoke to the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their relatives the singers with instruments of music, harps, lyres, loud-sounding cymbals, and to raise sounds of joy. So the Levites appointed Heman, which is not the way that's pronounced in Hebrew, just so you know. Heman, the son of Joel, and from his relatives Asaph, who, who wrote quite a few of the Psalms. This is cool stuff. David wrote quite a few of the Psalms. Asaph wrote quite a few of the Psalms. He promoted Asaph, the son of Berechiah, and from the sons of Merari, Merira, something. Their relatives, Ethan, there's a good English name. Ethan, the son of Cushaiah. And with them, their relatives of the second rank, Zechariah, Ben-Jaazael, Shemai Ramoth, Jehiel, Uni, Eliab, Benaiah, Meesaiah, Metathiah, Elephihu, Elephilihu, Ephelihu, Mignaiah, Mignaiah, Mignaiah. I don't think all the letters are pronounced. Obed Edom. And Jael, the gatekeepers. So the singers, Haman, Asaph, and Ethan, were appointed to sound aloud symbols of bronze. And Zechariah, Azael, Shemai, Ramoth, Jehiel, Uni, Eliab, Messiah, and Benaiah, with harps tuned to Alamoth, and Metathiah, Eliphalihu, Mikneiah, Obed Edom, Jael, and Azaziah, Azaziah, to lead with liars, turn to the Shemineth. Chenaniah, chief of the Levites, was in charge of the singing, and he gave instruction in singing because he was 
skillful. We see in this text that it was, it was Levites, the priests, the priests of Israel, the priestly tribe, Levites, who were given the responsibility to lead Israel's music. The song service, the music ministry of Israel was led by Levites. Now, Levites' job was to do what? Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 10. Teach the whole counsel of Scripture. We want to know what these guys were singing, what sort of music they were leading. All we have to do is read through the Psalms. And the Psalms, the Psalms are not chaotic. They are repetitive, but not chaotic. Those are two different things, right? And the Psalms are definitely doctrinally sound, written by theologically mature people, people who have been trained for this. And even the one person who was chosen to be in charge of the singing, uh, Chenaniah, the chief of the Levites, he was chosen because of his skill, his level of skill. And so these songs that were being written and these songs that were being sung by the nation of Israel, by these singing prophets, they were artistically composed. They were intelligent in their lyrics. They were executed with finesse, with skill. This is the way King David organized things to be. And as we read through the scriptures, we find that these are the, the basic preferences that God has for music that is sung by His people. We get so, so caught up with our preferences. And we seem to miss out on the way that God has said that he wants music to be in his church. And so, you know, here at the Church of Sunsites, we, we may have some, some growing up to do in this area. You know, for, for years, we have emphasized preaching and teaching, and the preaching and teaching, and the preaching and teaching, and the preaching and teaching. And maybe the, the music has been neglected as a, proper form of church ministry. And I don't say this to like be critical or to be condemning. It's just the text points us to make this application. We want to be honest with where we are as a church, right? If you say, but wait, Pastor, that's, that's like Old Testament stuff you're referring to. Aren't we in the New Testament now? Aren't things different? First of all, God doesn't change. God, God's preferences are the same because he's, because he's the same then, now, forevermore, right? But added to this, in the New Testament, he repeats his preferences for us. So I think about what it means to be singing prophets. Let me go to the New Testament with you here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. And with just one verse, we, we can get the context. This is a direct command. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, 
Where does this start? With the word of Christ richly dwelling within us. The ministry of Christ's word is the preeminent ministry of the church so that we might know what Christ has said, not being hearers of the word, but doers also. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom. That means we're making, we're discerning, making wise decisions with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. It is God's design that when we come together, we would teach one another. Teach one another what? The words of Christ, which are to richly dwell within us, and admonish one another to say, this is where we do need improvement, to spur one another on to love and good deeds according to Hebrews chapter 10 admonishing one another admonishing one another with what? by preaching at one another that's, that's not what the text says by speaking judgmentally or talking judgmentally or down to someone that's not what the text says teaching and admonishing one another with psalms this is the place of singing in church. And that's why it's, it's the Word of God even that we sing with psalms. God, God's desire, His preference is that the church actually sing the psalms. Open up the Bible and go to Psalm number da-da-da and sing. But not only psalms, hymns. So not, not that we would limit ourselves to just the psalms, but also saying that the hymns of the faith, the historic songs that Christians have been singing, right? And this applies the same to us as it, as it did to, to the people Paul was writing to, to the believers in Colossae. They had hymns too. And we have hymns. And here, Paul instructs, sing the psalms and hymns, not just to sing them, but sing them in such a way that you are teaching and admonishing one another. This is cool stuff, Right? But not only psalms and hymns. Oh, I hope too many of us aren't too traditional now. (laughs) And spiritual songs. At a basic level, a very basic level, and we'll just stay at the basic level for now because we're not expositing Colossians yet. Right? This means that God desires that new music be produced to Him. Spiritual songs. And I, you know, as I was preparing for the sermon this week, I got pretty passionate about this. And I was, I started reading this. You may laugh at Go ahead and laugh at me. This is fine. I was reading the text and I was like, yeah, yes, yes. Spiritual, just because I like this. Not everybody likes this stuff like I do, Right? apparently God does and we are to be concerned with his preferences and not our own which is really nice now these songs psalms, hymns and spiritual songs that we are singing they're not only for the purpose of teaching and admonishing one another by the word of Christ which the content of these songs is to be the word of Christ whether it's a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual psalm because this is what lifts people up this is, this is how people are encouraged and this is how people are convicted but, but also singing <laughs> requires a voice it, it doesn't say everybody has to be on key it's fine if we're not on, on key everybody except for the song leader who apparently does so with such skill that he's able to teach instruct 
both the other singers and the congregation, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So what we learn in the New Testament, God's design for singing in the church, this form of prophecy in both the Old and the New Testaments, is it the singing of the church, the music ministry of the church, basically accomplishes the same thing that the preaching and teaching does. Our songs are to be such that people learn about God through our music. You hear somebody talking about walking into church and feeling spiritually uplifted by the music. There seems to be something to that according to the text of Scripture. But wait, Pastor. Couldn't that have just been for the church at Colossae? Paul wrote the same thing to the Ephesian church. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This again, begins with understanding what the will of the Lord is. How has the Lord shared His will with us? Let me give you a clue, <laughs> a hint. It's a hint. Through His Word, right? God has shared His will in His Word. Verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is a dissipation. It's not profitable. It's not beneficial to you. That's not going to help you at all. But be filled with the Spirit. You mean to sing, to praise. I have to be filled with the Spirit? I can't just come and sing a few words? No, singing is... It's a spiritual act. And it can only properly be done through the filling of the Holy Spirit, not by human willpower or muster. 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to God. This is an act of gladness, of joy, of thanksgiving. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Paul didn't just write this to the believers at Colossae. He wrote this to the believers in Ephesus. That's two different churches now receiving the exact same instruction regarding the music ministry of the church. Sing the Word of God. Sing the Psalms. Sing the hymns. Sing spiritual songs. Write new music for the Lord. That is an exposition of Scripture, of God's Word. So that by the singing, the music ministry of God's church, the people will be impacted, affected, in the same way that they are affected by the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. Now, I think the Bible is so clear on this, right? The preaching and teaching ministry of the church is to be preeminent. It is to be the foremost ministry of the church. The explanation, the clear explanation of, of Scripture. 
to the people and, and the rightful application of Scripture to the people, the congregation. That includes the pastor, even though the pastor is the one expositing the Word. And often, churches who go all in on the preaching and teaching, which we should, but this happens all the time, for some reason neglect the music ministry. And not only are we to have expository preaching and teaching, but church, we are to have expository music. This is God's desire for God's church. And here, the church at Sunside, I'm not condemning us, right? Not criticizing us too heavily. I just want to to make that known and we share this with gentleness and respect and we, we say it just, just because God has said it that's why it's so difficult to preach through the scriptures and I knew this morning would be difficult for me but we've set a standard here where we don't skip anything and so we must preach the whole counsel of scripture the churches that zero in on this tend to neglect proper music ministry, expository music ministry, spirit-filled music ministry in the church. And I would almost argue, just from seeing these verses, that the music ministry of the church is almost as important as the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. Of course, I am a little biased there because I'm a preacher. Almost as important In the scriptures, we see five principles regarding the music ministry of the church. And this helps us to understand what's going on with Saul as he sees these singing prophets, right? The first one is this. The spiritual gift of music is a form of prophecy in the Old and New Testaments. Number two. The text points us to seek theologically trained, skilled, and Holy Spirit gifted pastors to lead church music. In the Old Testament, it was the Levites. In the New Testament, it's people who qualify as elders of the church to lead, not to participate. Now, in the New Testament, we see, we see the instruction, everyone is to prophesy in the church meeting. Men and women alike, unqualified and qualified people alike, everyone is to prophesy, but to have the leader of church music, Right? is to have someone who is theologically trained, who qualifies as an elder, and who is spiritually gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Number three, the text indicates that the normal mood of church music should be joyful, upbeat, and incorporate multiple singers and types of instruments. This is how the Psalms were sung. Next time you read the book of Psalms, just imagine this. Loud symbols. some, Some of you may not like that. Never mind. Apparently God likes it. The music was loud and joyful, exuberant, thanksgiving, celebratory. Number four, next to the preaching of God's Word, which is the preeminent ministry of the local church, church music incorporates God's words and is our proclamation not only to God but to one another. To one another a proclamation to one another and our confession to God, making it almost as important as the Spirit-filled preaching and teaching of the church 
and requiring almost as much time in the study of God's Word, almost as much time in prayer, and almost as much time in preparation. Preparation that, according to Scripture, includes instructing others in music. Instructing the worship team in music and practicing with the worship team in music and instructing the congregation in church music. This requires much time. The fifth principle we see, and this is more for the church today than in Israel's time, though we can still see it there, right? The fifth principle we see is this is a, it's basically a full time job. And those of us who think that, you know, Okay, we can get somebody to volunteer, and I love our ladies for volunteering. I love them so much. I love all the volunteers that we can get, right? I love what you guys are doing. Love it. But those of us who think that we can appropriately have church music without have someone without having someone who is dedicating all of their work hours per week to study and prayer and, and preparation and instruction and pleading with the Holy Spirit to lead them. We are sadly mistaken. This is a time-consuming job. That's why the person who's preaching can't normally devote his time to doing that because it's almost as time-consuming as preparing to preach or teach. We need teaching pastors and elders. We also need music pastors and elders. Local churches usually shift between two extremes. And I've mentioned this, either they will exalt the music and the preaching and teaching will suffer. They will exalt the preaching and teaching and the music will suffer. I would argue that we need to devote near equal attention to both of those things, not neglecting one or the other. And this isn't, this isn't Andrew Cannon's vision for music ministry. This is just an application of the instruction that God has given us in both the Old and New Testaments regarding this music or prophetic ministry of the church, whichever of those terms you want to use. We want holistic ministry and we want every aspect of what we do to be honoring to God so that God is glorified, honored in our midst. And so we're not trying to raise up any one individual or any one ministry. And if the music is expository, God will speak to us through the music as He speaks to us through the preaching and teaching. Though, though maybe not as deeply, because in the preaching and teaching we're opening the Word, reading verse by verse and explaining the Scriptures. And song, that's the emotional part of the service. And it's the Word of, of God, but in song. So even though we're not reading it, it's, this is beneficial and this is profitable for us when it is done appropriately and according to God's instruction. Now this is, if we are to take all of this that the Bible says about this position, music, ministry, about the singing prophets, then do we know this is the sort of person coming down from this high place and Saul is meeting this group? Now, last week we saw some pretty funny things in the text. 
The story of Saul just gets funnier. Just wait till next week. Saul's trying to hide, but he's too tall to hide. Here, these guys are parading down this mountain. Tambourines, singing, dancing, thanksgiving to God, and Saul's. It's almost like they're encompassing Saul, and they're going around Saul. And we, we read the next part of the, of the text here in 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 10, see, verses uh, 6 through 8. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily. So these tambourine guys, these guys who are in this parade and singing praises to God, these psalms to God are coming, and they're sort of going around Saul, and, and, or they will be. Saul technically is still right next to Samuel. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them. So all of a sudden, Saul is going to start singing too. Okay, alright. Here he is on a mission. I'm going home. And he's, he's going to get caught up in song too. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will come upon him and change him into another man. What? That's a scary thought too. Ephesians chapter 5, we saw the whole reason we can praise God is because the Holy Spirit enables us. We can't rightly lift our voices to God without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so Saul is going along, or he will be going along, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and changes him and enables him to praise. This can't be done without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Why do we rely on our own power? You can't explain that away. You can't come up with, oh, what the Scripture means is... No, there's something that singing... Singing the words of Christ, coming together to worship God, there's something that this does that we, I don't think we can explain it naturally. I'm not going to try this morning. The Holy Spirit changes us. And the text doesn't tell us exactly what that looks like in any of these passages, right? But what we do know is the Spirit changes us so that we can worship God. We come together, the Spirit comes in, you know, if if we're in Christ and the Spirit already indwells us, just moves us, and and we we get lost in the music, we get lost in the praise. Some would think that we make fools of ourselves because all of a sudden a hand goes up and... Is that allowed here? All of a sudden a hand goes up or somebody starts clapping and we start swaying back and forth. There's dancing. All of a sudden somebody pulls out a random tambourine and starts leading the women around the auditorium. And I think we need women to lead some tambourines around the What do you think? Oh, all right. Why does it have to be a woman? I was just trying to be I was just trying to be culturally acceptable. No, I wasn't. <laughs> this is what we see in the text though. Saul will be caught up. We must be caught up by the Holy Spirit in order to rightly worship God. 
It's just the truth of Scripture. That's what God tells us in, in His Word. Some of us are now having to shift our, our personal theologies, which is just fine. That's what Scripture does to us. It shall be when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. We've seen in our study of 1 Samuel so far, we've seen worship that honors God. We've seen worship that does not honor God. God is clear here. This type of worship that Saul is about to be caught up in, it is honoring God. Despite what Saul will become, this ravenous wolf, this worship is honoring to God. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. And there, God just affirms through Samuel that this is a peace offering, right? This is an offering of thanksgiving. This, this praise is just, thank you, Lord, for everything you've done, are doing, and will do. Thank you. Celebration. Now you shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. In verses 9 through 13, we see God's confirmation of, of Saul. Then it happened when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God changed his heart. All of these things, they're, they're coming to pass. God goes and changes Saul's heart. This is what enables him to praise, right? We're just going to see everything fulfilled. So I'm not going to take the time to repeat everything that I just said so I can explain what's going on. You, you heard me the, the first time, I, I hope. And all those signs, which God explained to Saul through Samuel, came about on that day. When they came to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him mightily, so that he prophesied this singing prophecy, prophesied among them. It came about when all who knew him previously saw that he prophesied, now with the prophets, that the people said to one another, what has happened to the son of Kish? Well, that's weird. <laughs> What's going on with that guy? What, isn't, isn't he a Benjamite? Isn't he out looking for donkeys? What has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Was this Benjamite made into a Levite? Did he become one of these guys? What happened here? Legitimate questions in the time, I'm sure. To me, they look kind of funny. <laughs> you know? Verse 12, a man there said, Now, who is their father, the priests, the prophets, these singing Levites. Now, who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb. Is Saul also among the prophets? And we see how God is working things together to sort of get Saul some recognition before promoting him as king, right? When he, this is Saul, had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. It was unclear whether or not he went up the high place, but he came to it. Verses 14 through 16, we see God confirmed exactly where he wanted Saul. He said, Saul, this is where I want you to go. This is what I have planned for you. When Saul was there, God confirmed it by providing the very signs that God said he would provide. And in verses 14 through 16, this part of the text is not so funny. Saul here grieves my heart. Now Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? And he, Saul, said, to look for the donkeys. When we saw that they could not be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. 
And so Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but he did not tell them about the matter of the kingdom which Samuel had mentioned. Here Saul is experiencing the stuff of God, and he's getting caught up in worship by the Spirit. And after it's over, he goes home and says, Eh. Eh. He said the donkeys made it home. What about all this God stuff? What about the music and the tambourines and and the Holy Spirit changing you into another person and enabling you to worship Him with song and dance with with these musical prophets? What about this? And don't we do this? We experience God's conviction and God's encouragement, encouragement and we experience the admonishing of, of God and, and God changes our hearts. And then after Sunday, through the rest of the week, we go home, eh. This grieves my heart. So we ask our question again. Do you wonder what God wants you to be, what God wants you to be doing, what God's plan is for your life, and, and how will God confirm that for you? And we speak from the text of, of Scripture, but I think we, many of us have experienced this, if not all of us, right? We spend so much time, like Saul, who there's a hint here that he's fighting this, and the next passage it will be confirmed that he's most definitely fighting this, God's plan for his life, Guess who else fought God's plan for his life? And I don't know how many others fight God's plan for their lives. I was going to school, dedicating myself to school to do what I wanted to do. I ran into that door a few times before stumbling into the door God wanted me to go through. And then once I stumbled through that door confirmation and confirmation and confirmation every time I, 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 don't, I don't know except for maybe this year which it was new to me and kind of scary I don't know that I've ever just run through a door that God wanted me to run through this year might be the first one it usually has been stumbling through doors because my plan didn't work out no matter how well I did in school no matter how many degrees I had right No matter how intelligent I became, knowledgeable I became. No matter my love for for science or art or music. I always slammed into a door before stumbling into the next one. It's only after stumbling through a door that God confirmed that. This is what I have for you. And the confirming signs didn't look like they did with Saul. The confirming signs are probably going to be different for each person, right? Depending on where God is leading us, what God is doing with us. But God does confirm. And, and I, think it's, I think it's kind of obvious when God confirms. Because it's like, oh, this is working and nothing else I've done is working. Right? This must, God must be working this out. So the only plea I can make from this passage of Scripture is that, man, we just... (laughs) 
it's okay to stumble through it too, right? It's not always obvious which door God has opened for us because we see through a glass darkly. We can't always tell which door is open. Stumble through a few doors. Try running through doors if you want. Hit those doors, stumble through others. It's a process. We figure out where God wants us to be. That's how we discover our spiritual gifts. By the way, spiritual gifts test, they can benefit us some. Really, the way you figure out your spiritual gift is by slamming into a few doors and stumbling through the right one. And God knows what He's working together, and God will confirm that in our lives. And we plug into a place of service, and this thing that God calls us to, we dedicate ourselves wholly to that. Saul will not. But we should. We should.